Hello, sales heroes. Alex here. Thank you so much for listening in today. I'm very excited about sharing this conversation with Stacy Mueller. Stacy and I did a webinar in the past called Objections as Opportunities, and uh, you can find that at SherpaCRM.com. Today, we're going to be talking about true heroic sales leadership, planning sessions. We'll actually conduct a mini planning session together, among other great things. So let's dive in. Hi, Stacy. Hi, Alex. I have been looking forward to this for a very long time. Mm. Can't, can't wait to have a deeper conversation. I know that you and I did a webinar in the past, but um, yeah, I just wanted to go a little bit deeper today and um, starting with just asking you about your story. How did you get started in all this? And, you know, you are selling senior living. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, it was about um, growing up in the same house with my grandparents and them being such a huge influence and part of my life and seeing you know, what they went through as they aged and the, the obstacles and the difficulties and also the beauty and the wisdom um, and knowing that whatever I wanted to do in my life, I wanted it to honor and serve my elders. Um, so that's really where like that calling for me kind of came from specifically senior. I mean, it didn't go straight into senior living. It was kind of a roundabout way that I got there, but it always was about finding a way that I could be an advocate and have a deeper understanding and seeing what things my grandparents went through that they struggled with. It was really profoundly, um, I guess it affected me profoundly that if they didn't have people right there that were advocating for them and helping them navigate just all of the things that, that come with the decisions that you have to make at the stage of life, you know, that, that would be pretty terrifying. And for me, I wanted to make sure nobody ever had to go through all that stuff without a person, you know, without, without an advocate. Was there a situation? So you talk about the influence that they had on you, mm. your grandparents, was there a situation in which you sensed an injustice or something where you thought, Oh my goodness, they're vulnerable or they're, you know, they need help, but no one say, well, what was that trigger if there was yeah. one? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd say there probably honestly were, were more than one, but the, the one or two that stick out in my mind are um, my grandmother getting a phone call and she was in her very late seventies, had some health issues. My grandpa was a little older, also kind of declining health, but they were doing okay. So she gets this phone call um, they were saying that they were from the IRS and talking about sending a sheriff to the door. It was obviously a scam, but to her, it felt very real. And she was, and she was so flustered. I was worried about her health. Like it was so upsetting. Mm-hmm. Um, and we really had to kind of jump in and investigate and show her that it was not a real issue. And, and then I thought, oh my God, how many people are they doing this to? And how many people get upset and worked up and how many people pay them money that they don't have to spend? It was just really impactful. Mm. That was, that was one of the situations. The other was when we needed to find hospice for my grandmother 
And um, my grandpa couldn't, he just couldn't, he couldn't make those decisions. He couldn't do the research. He couldn't, um, couldn't cope. And it really took all of us kind of being there and taking a piece of the process and, and figuring out a way to be most helpful while still allowing him to have emotional space and dignity and autonomy in the process. And it, it was just, um, yeah, there were some pretty powerful things that, that really showed me that, that folks can be vulnerable and they need someone they can trust that has their best interest at heart. That really does inform your intention, doesn't it? When Absolutely. You... Yeah. So how would you define your intention when mm-hmm. you are in front of a prospective family or person that's contemplating, you yeah. know, this, this radical change? Yeah. So my intention is always to understand who they are, understand their goals, and to be a partner to them in whatever process comes next. And I think, I think starting there helps set not only my intention with them, but with myself. So that, you know, so that throughout the whole process, if I make every decision, if I, if everything I do, every phone call, every strategy, every CFU, everything I do comes from that intention, then then, then I'm not going to do anything wrong in their eyes, you know, and I'm not, I'm not being a part of the problem. I'm being a part of their, their solution, whatever that looks like for them, whatever they want to happen. And I can do that from the level of an advisor partner, not, not the expert. I'm not the expert in anything, but um, someone who just wants to kind of help them understand and make the very best and most informed decision that they can. Mm. Yeah, I believe intention is is really the foundation of of how our sales process and our interaction and our ability to connect with prospective buyers. Um, you know, it, it just informs all of that. But you said something. You said it's stating the intention is important for the prospect for that person to understand what your intention is. But you said it's it's important for me to hear mm-hmm. myself to sort of recalibrate that. Uh, every time, right? Yes. It feels as though, uh, at least in my experience, that I always had to sort of come back to that before I picked up the phone or before, you know, because in, in my experience, you know, some part of my brain was afraid or was, you know, intending to try to get it close because of the pressures of getting results. Um, so, so what you said was really powerful. It's like, I need to hear myself say that so I can get in that right space. Right. Yes, absolutely. And I, I think people can struggle council sales counselors, leasing counselors can struggle with what I like to call the duality of our intention. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, we have a responsibility to both get results and do what's best truly what's best for the people that we're working with. Mm -hmm. And I think that is something people struggle with. And sometimes it feels like, especially when you kind of get to a certain point in the stages and people are having emotional reactions to what's happening and their, their fear um, is, is causing them to sort of, you know, reject a little bit and push back a little bit. That's when it, it, you start to, to get afraid of being rejected. You start getting afraid and struggling with that duality of purpose 
And that is especially the most important time to go back to that intention. Like if we believe that what we're doing really has their best interests at heart, considering all the information we have, then, then you can't stop there. You can't because then you're not actually doing what's best for them by allowing them to push back because of fear and accepting it and stopping there. You're not helping them. That's when you slide into like, oh, you're having sympathy for them. And that's not what anybody needs. Sympathy is not helpful. So you go back to that intention and it drives empathic connection. It drives you to seek truly what the issues are and to think then about issue identification and to, um, you know, maybe step onto the other foot. So it, it all comes back to intention. You're, you're totally right. Yeah. Uh, I just want to pause on that. There's a lot to unpacking what you just said. <laughs> you know, um, this, uh, the dual intention, I, I, I see like, you know, the little angel and the little devil on each shoulder that are all talking, not that one's an angel and one's a devil, but uh, this dual intention is, is something that we have to paradox navigate all the time. And that's why self-regulation and understanding our own emotions and what drives us. But you know, the, the, there's also that, that fear, if we're driven by the ego, um, we are going to not want to look bad or not want to, you know, dive back in after we've been rejected because nobody wants to be rejected. And so, so that's the process. That's really the key, right. Is to just sort of shut that down or acknowledge it. And then say, in spite of that, there's this other part of me that knows that what's causing them to reject me. They're not rejecting me. They're just really emotionally not ready to, um, you know, to make a decision. So I need to, I need to explore those emotions with them. And that's uh, the issue of identification. I want to get to that. I just wanted to say that you are, be, you're getting incredible results, you and your team congratulations. And by that, I mean, you're selling high-end independent living. Um, on average, you're getting eight to nine movements or sales a month. And that's, uh, that's remarkable. That really is. I, um, by the way, you're not doing that with like a ton of leads. No, you have a very, so, small. Mm-hmm. very small. So um, I, I, I want to unpack so many things, but let me ask you this um, before we get into this issue identification, which I'm so interested about, and I know you want to talk about. What is your, can you describe a typical day in, in sales for you? What's your typical day? What does it look like? What does it feel like? You know, our typical day starts with our group planning session. Wait, 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 wait. You yes. wake up in the morning. Do you have some breakfast? Well, I got to go back. Okay. <laughs> you got to go back. I want you to walk me through it. Okay. Because um, I, <laughs> I want perhaps our listeners that are in sales to, you know, to, to think about what their day is like and uh, mm-hmm. not to compare and contrast. Um, yeah. But just tell me, tell me, just walk me through it. Okay. So I um, I wake up and either with my alarm or because my dog decides it's time for me to wake up. <laughs> and then I, uh, I usually go to the ladies room and I go put on my cup of coffee and I take the dog outside. And instead of just letting him out, I actually take him out and I do that intentionally so I can breathe the fresh air and look at the big, beautiful tree in my backyard and just kind of get into my, my, my Zen space to prepare myself for my day. 
Um, and then when I come back in, you know, I drink my coffee and I look on Sherpa <laughs> to see, uh, remind myself maybe uh, what we can celebrate in terms of advances for the last day or two, um, what we have to plan for to get excited about in terms of who we may be um, seeing face to face or have an important phone call with uh, whatever we have going on that day. Um, and then that just really kind of fuels me because I want to inspire and lead my team and you know what and then there there are days when we don't have anybody coming in and maybe yesterday was a slow day and then my intention becomes a little bit different and it becomes about finding ways that, that uh, we could take that what feels like a slow day or what feels like maybe a negative and instead think wow we have this wonderful chance to breathe and recalibrate and think about people who maybe we haven't talked to since they toured and we sent the CFU and they didn't call back or um, the people that have been on the back in the back of our minds that we've been wanting to get in touch with and see if we can reconnect with like, that's a wonderful opportunity on those days. So I try to kind of shift it to, um, to that. And then, you know, I, I just drive in and um, when I get here and come in, you know, I make another cup of coffee at work and ask everybody how their day was and ask them if there's anything going on in their personal lives that they want to share or that they're excited about or worried about. Because at the end of the day, the way we take care of ourselves informs the way we take care of other people. So I think that's important. And I want people to be able to shake all that stuff off and say that they're mad because they had a flat tire or the plumber's coming at three and they're worried about it. Like, let's just take a moment and recognize that we all have stuff um, and bring us back to that human place. That's the person I want calling somebody is that human who has struggles and who has stress and who, uh, you know, who has emotions that they can, they can tap into. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I mean, I just want to pause there and just consider that. Um, I know personally that members of your team, um, just think the world of you as a mentor, as someone that is constantly wanting to learn from them. When, um, as someone that's extremely supportive, and you're giving them the space to to be human, and then somehow it feels like for them, I know what they tell me is that it feels like um, they feel supported and brave and courageous to go help other people because they're awesome. being supported. It's it's awesome. <laughs> Um, everybody take a note from Stacy Mueller's page on <laughs> how to lead sales, how to provide the environment for salespeople to thrive. Mm -hmm. So then what happens? Well, then we jump into our planning and again, we, so, so yeah. So what does that mean? Cause many of our listeners and perhaps they're not using Sherpa and they're not, you know, using kind of this approach, um, what does that mean? You know, what, so you all sit down and every morning there's a, there's a meeting and that is sacred, right? Yes. yes. Planning sessions. So we sit down at the table and we, sorry, Stacy, this happens every day of the week. Yes. Every day of the week. So our office is actually scheduled to where we have sort of split schedules. So there's some folks that work maybe Tuesday through Saturday and some folks, folks that work Sunday through Thursday and it's set up that way. So there's always someone here working mm -hmm. seven days of the week. Um, so every day 
whomever is, 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 is on that day and is working that day sits down at a conference table and we have a TV and we project Sherpa onto that TV and somebody drives, meaning somebody pulls up prospects as we're talking about them um, on from their laptop and then it shows on the screen so we can all follow along. And then we can look at things like um, their profile information and we can learn about who they are. Um, and that's where we start with each prospect, no matter what we're doing, what stage they're in, what the next level is, uh, we, we talk about who they are. We remind each other, these are people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we talk about, we look at their pictures, which are in Sherpa. We look at their profile information, which includes wonderful gems, like their life story and their and their influencers, like who are their kids, who are their people, um, there's their themes and legacies and their values, um, just all of that wonderful information that we can at a glance look at to kind of think about who these folks are, maybe how they see the world, what their stories they've told us, which then tell us what identity they're putting, putting out there into the world, how they want to be seen. So that helps us understand maybe how we best um, strategize and how we can kind of scientifically put ourselves in their shoes. Um, and that, that's a, that's a very powerful thing. You know, I want to, again, dig deeper on this because these meetings are, you know, when people typically think, and I don't know what people typically think, but, but many people may think of a sales meeting as, as a place in which you discuss the, you know, what apartments do you have ready, um, you know, who's your hot prospect, who's, you know, what, what, um, how do you fit, you know, what apartments you have available and how to fit someone into that apartment, which ones have the most urgency. So, so that's one kind of sales meeting. What you're talking about here is meetings in which you select uh, as a team, you select one, one or, or more uh, prospects and you go in depth to discuss what you know about them, uh, what you don't know about. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And then some strategy for what the next step or the next advance could be with that person. So how do you, so that's, that's, that's what we call prospect planning. And, and we know that um, the data shows us that that is one of the most effective foundational things um, that we can do to boost our conversions. And it's, uh, it's really about depth and it's about digging in um, rather than touching more people, more surface-like. So how do you select who you talk about that morning? Sure. So oftentimes our meeting is a combination of folks that we are working with, and maybe we look at the last day or two, or maybe the last week even, and we talk about folks that um, that we've met, that we've that we've had some advances with. Maybe folks have come in for tours, or if we had a great home visit, um, we talk about the things that we want to continue in building momentum and multiple small touches and planning CFUs. So we're, we're, we're bringing them to life among this group and we're strategizing collaboratively and collectively as to um, learning more. You know, what we don't know is very helpful and that helps us to decide on maybe strategies for next steps. So we'll talk about those things. And then we'll also talk about 
you know, maybe we have a tour coming in today. So we'll pull up that profile and we'll try to understand as a group who that person is. We'll discuss what we know and what we don't know. We'll, um, we'll try to plan an experience for that tour based on the things that, that we've learned before the tour about what's important to them. They want to learn when they're here. What are their goals? Um, what do they care about? What's their identity? There's a lot of pre-tour work. If at all possible, it's better to do lots of work before the tour rather than after. Um, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> that's a whole another podcast. <laughs> yeah. And so when you said things like, um, what is their identity? And, you know, I keep, I keep thinking about this idea that when people, one of the biggest um, sort of, reasons I'm not ready yet type of underlying emotional issues is I don't want to lose my independence. That's sort of the statement that we hear. Um, Again, I I believe that that means I don't want to lose my identity. You know, I know who I am here at home built. I built this life. Who am I going to be? Mm -hmm. Right. Will I not so much who am I going to be, but will I still be me? Right. And so this process of planning, it seems to me, and, and being able to not just customize the tour, but but give it that flavor that this is this is your place. This could be your place where you get to be you. Mm-hmm. And we have to demonstrate that through um, you know, applying what we've learned to make it as as um as reflective of their goals and aspirations and as possible. And that's just, that's, that requires a lot of planning, doesn't it? It does because maybe, um, well, for example, we have a lady that's not coming until the 19th, but we have, that's fantastic because we have so much time to build an experience for her and to get to know her and to not be strangers when we meet here. That's my goal. Without naming any names, obviously we want to protect people's privacies. But can sure. we can we tell a little bit of that story? Can we do a mini prospect sure. case study? Yeah, Let's yeah. do it together. Come on, yeah. that'd be fun. So so who are we talking about? Okay, so so we'll call her Mrs. Jones. Um, Mrs. Jones lives in a small town um, that's probably a good four hours away from the St. Louis Metro where we are, and she um, has lived there for about forty years. Uh, She's been a widow for a a long time, about 20 years. Um, She taught computer science at a college, which, you know, is STEM careers. Yeah, right. Like who in that time, who does that? So women just didn't go into those STEM careers. And that was a man's world. Um, She likes to play bridge. She has a small circle of friends around her that's kind of dwindling. We learned about her because her daughter, who works for the local art museum here and who lives pretty close to our community, uh, came in one day and said, my mom has agreed to think about moving to St. Louis. That's as far as she'll go. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to help. I'm trying to do my due diligence and I'm going to see everything that's a practical option. Um, and I want to make spreadsheets and I want to give her only the communities that check all the boxes she says she has, right? So here's a daughter who hopes to get her mom closer to her, right? And who honors her mom, who's an independent, strong-willed person and has exacting standards, right? She has an identity, a picture of herself and who she wants to be through this process and in a community, if that's her choice. So her daughter 
wants to be a good daughter and wants to show her the very best possible options so that she has to give up the least in order to do this. Her daughter wants to make it as easy as possible. Mm. Um, so yeah, good luck to her. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. but she I... was thankfully pretty open. Like, you know, we think about our own relationships, right? Our own maternal, paternal, those family dynamics, how, how we would feel if we were trying to help our own mothers. Like to me, mm-hmm. that's frightening. <laughs> so, Terrifying. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I get that what she was doing was saying, I don't want my mom to be disappointed in me. And I don't want my mom to be mad at me. And I also don't want my mom to give up anything because she gave up everything for me. Mm. So, so I wanted to align with her and we shared resources um, from third party sort of objective resources that help you compare communities. Like what kind of questions you could, you should ask, what kind of things you should be thinking of. We really tried to align with her and help her accomplish her goal of getting the most information that she possibly could so she could feel good about doing her due diligence. Mm-hmm. Along the way, we were trying to build trust with her so that she felt comfortable allowing us to talk to her mom directly. And that's been very, very hard for her um, for lots of reasons. You know, and, and again, there's that issue identification piece we could talk more about later, but uh, so what, what were some of those uh, in the process of talking to the daughter yeah. and building trust with her and offering her resources so that she could feel like she was doing this, that she had an advocate in this search? And we probably don't even have time to go into why, why did she even embark on this kind of search and what are the motivations and et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. But so now you're building trust with her to you know, ultimately have her open up to you talking to mom. Mm -hmm. And has that happened? Or if it hasn't, how did you do that? It has not. (laughs) Oh, great. Okay. We're still working toward it. Um, Uh, What is she afraid of? What's the issue? Do you think she's afraid of her mom? (laughs) Why is she afraid of her mom? Well, her mom is strong willed. And in her words, her mom is tough and she's stubborn and she's strong-willed and she, you know, likes things the way she likes them. So this is a lady who broke into a a field that mostly was dominated by men that had to learn to live in a remote town without neighbors for three or four miles away and no husband, how to be confident and secure and self-sufficient. So mm-hmm. this is, this is someone who she is, she, she's huge in her daughter's eyes, right? She's um, larger than life. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, so wait, so what, why do you think, you know, again, the issue for her is that she's afraid, but, but why? So, so we so, can make assumptions that yeah. it's because it's because, you know, um, she was always very strong willed and she, She's maybe afraid of her mom's being mad at her disapproval. There are other parts of it. If we can look at it more scientifically and not have to make assumptions, you know, there are other parts of it. So when she first, you know, came to us, she said, my mom has agreed to look at places in St. Louis and think about moving. Okay. Mm -hmm. So her mom has said to her, 
my friends are moving to be closer to their kids or they're, or they're passing away and my circle is getting smaller. And then COVID made her feel even more isolated, like it did to the rest of the entire world. And it really punctuated the need for some kind of community and connection. Mm -hmm. And then her daughter lives in St. Louis four hours away and that's her only person. So her daughter goes up there, drives four hours each way every weekend or at most every other weekend to be her person, to be her advocate, to, you know, help her do whatever it is that her mom needs a little help with or a little advice with or whatever. Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny that um, she's telling you the daughter that mom's so self-sufficient and such a independent person. And yet she's got to have her daughter drive four hours. It makes no sense. Does it? It doesn't. It makes no sense. No sense whatsoever. (laughs) Yeah. There's a discrepancy between how Mrs. Jones sees herself and the identity that she puts on and claims and pushes out into the world and the person that she actually is in the life she's actually living right now. And that just really goes to the core of uh, this is what makes it so much fun to do the work we do, because typically we're holding on or Mrs. Jones is, or we always will, if we're lucky, try to hold on to our identity. Our best self. Yeah, your best self. And the environment and the situation does not fit, does not support that best self any longer. That's why they call. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. they wouldn't call. There wouldn't be an inquiry. There's always that issue, right? So, but it requires, I mean, for that daughter, I think a, a sense of appealing to not so much the identity, um, but appealing to the role. So what worked for me is to tell my mom, mom, be my mom. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, I'm willing to drive for hours. You're such an independent person. I understand how important it is to make your own decisions. I am stuck. I'm, I'm, I'm stuck. I'm having, I, I worry about you. I worry about you being alone. Help me. What would you do? You know, be my mom. And that may be uh, a conversation that we need to help her feel empowered to have. And she's been very open to um, discussions about our process. Like I'm very excited to just pull back the curtain and explain what we're doing and why we're doing it. And to, to help her learn how to be a Sherpa for her mom. Exactly. So sharing resources with her, including some of the resources available through Sherpa, you know, some of the videos, changes like climbing a mountain or, or the smart grid. So if you don't use Sherpa and you're listening, so we're talking about being able to identify what stage of readiness a person is to make a change. And and uh, it's really important because that kind of informs how we talk about it, what kind of conversations we can have either with a parent or with a prospect or with a loved one that's contemplating change. And so it's really helpful for adult children to, to know that they don't have to convince because that when you are trying to tell your parent what to do, it feels uncomfortable, scary, and you will make your parent angry um, if, if they're in a stage of 
of unreadiness. So you're not in sync. You may all want the same thing. Obviously, um, the daughter has the best intention for mom and mom wants the best for herself. But somehow the, the process is not aligned. You know, one is already ready for action. I want something to happen, you know, with mom, but mom doesn't. So it's, it's helping the daughter understand that mom may be in the thinking stage, perhaps contemplating whether or not this is something leaving her home is something she wants to do or is prepared to do. Or it could be in the planning stage of, yes, I decided that I'm going to eventually leave my home, but not now. You know, I want to delay this thing because I'm doing just fine and I'm making air quotes right now, right? And so how do we guide an adult child to ask questions and have conversations and evoke stories around um, those kinds of stages when we had to change something else in the past? So mom, um, when you decided to go into this field or when you decided to move from this town to the next and when you decided to get a divorce or get married or whatever it is, you know, how did you think about that? How did you make that decision? I'm trying to offer the solution here and I'm going to stop, but there's so it's fascinating, right? Mm-hmm. So when you talk about identifying the issue, there's so many different issues with the daughter and there may be issues, the issue that's that's sort of preventing change from happening. Right. So now so now you're we're planning, right? We're identifying that it may be that she's scared to talk to mom. Our goal is to develop trust with mom directly so that we can um, establish a, a relationship and relieve her of having to sell mom. Right. Yeah. All those nasty emotions that come with this process. So ultimately with Mrs. Jones, what's your goal? So our goal is to empower her to reclaim that identity and make a decision that someone with that identity would make, make a decision that aligns with who she and her daughter have said that she is. And we do that by helping her to see and feel like her best self again. So where her daughter may be trying to convince and maybe focusing on the problems and the issues of why she should change, we are going to seek to be a resource for her daughter, but to be an advocate for her. And that is something that we explain to the daughter and to adult children is there are times when we're going to do things that make you feel uncomfortable because we feel like we're agreeing with your parent and going against what you've said you want to happen. But this is why. And then I explained sort of going with the skid, sort of leaning into where they are and what they're thinking and what they're saying is important to them so that we have that opportunity then to build connection and trust and to be a mirror for them so that they, so she can see how much this doesn't actually make sense. That independent person whose daughter has to drive four hours to do things for her. This doesn't make sense. So logically we all can see that. And I bet you she probably can too, but she's not thinking logically. This isn't a decision that can be made with logic it's her, her heart, you know, her emotions, her fear, that identity crisis she's going through. That's where these decisions are coming from. Yeah. And it's, it's actually, yes. In my experience with my own mother, what she said to me is at first I had to accept that 
you know, that mermaid, that past that I was holding on to was no longer possible. And that acceptance is really difficult. The daughter doesn't have to accept that. I mean, she's looking forward and trying to solve a problem, but mom isn't. And so the purpose of us building trust and aligning and having that conversation about identity and about your life story and, you know, what do you value and how do you see yourself and, you know, all these great questions that I know once you get, you know, to talk to mom, that's what you're going to ask are are really not intended. And I want to make this clear. And I know that that's, they're not intended for us to gain trust so that then we can go sell and convince that the trust that we gain is so that we can allow the person to explore safely without the fear of being sold. All those, all those emotions around letting go of the past identity, all those, oh, the fear, the sadness, those very real emotions that I think anybody that's in this industry doing sales in senior living faces all the time, whether you want to recognize or not, you're dealing with strong feelings of loss that are coming from your prospects, lots of frustration coming from the adult children and guilt and lots of fear of change. And so it's, it's a, we're an emotional navigator, right? Mm-hmm. But so what are you going to do with Mrs. Jones now? What's the <laughs> next step? So her daughter has said, well, we ask her daughter, before your mom comes, because she's only going to be in town for a short amount of time and she's going to get here. And this is a lot to come at her. She's going to come with these reasons in her mind why she's going to disqualify this and any other place she visits because they're not her home. Mm -hmm. So although, you know, we have a pool and she loves to swim and you know, we have great active bridge groups and she's a bridge player although you know she has food allergies and our chef will build a special menu for her. She, that is really not going to convince her or help her convince herself that she should want to do this. So helping her daughter to understand that we asked if we could craft some things to show her mom by email. And if she's not comfortable with that, we could send it to her and she can show her mom, decide what she wants to share and in what time frame. Um, that would help her mom experientially understand. Um, she said her mom would care about seeing the lease paperwork. She'd care about whether we had a pool. She'd care about bridge. So instead of telling her, we're creating um, a video from our water aerobics instructor uh, during a water aerobics class where she can see a little snippet of the class and the people in the pool are saying hi. We are um, setting up a meeting with her and the chef, not us, nothing to do with us, but her and the chef. So she can then examine with him if her food allergies, you know, if she could eat well here in light of her food allergies, we are creating a tabloid piece, just a one sheet kind of pretty tabloid piece with three or four different bridge players. And they'll have a headshot and whatever their like bridge ranking is. And I don't know the lingo, so I won't try. And then um, a little quote from them about, you know, whether they hope to meet her when she's here or, what their experience has been or what they like about whatever they want to say, that will be all on one sheet. So we're proving it instead of just talking about it. And we're giving her mom the opportunity to pick it apart, to say why it won't work, to formulate her questions. Like I want to light a fire in that fiery lady so that when she comes, she's ready to punch me in the nose with all of her questions and all of the, all the things that she, all her objections and like, bring it on. Like I, I want to evoke in her a reclamation of her 
strong, <laughs> independent, you know, critical, analytical self. That's who I want to walk through the door. Holy macaroni. <laughs> that is so cool. Yeah. It occurs to me that it, this takes a lot of prepar- a lot of thought, a lot mm-hmm. of planning, mm-hmm. a lot of preparation, a lot of time. And, um, you know, again, the data has shown that the more time you spend, uh, it's an indicator of, of quality and of depth. Um, and it's also an indicator of your conversions. So you have a team mm-hmm. and you spend a lot of time with fewer people. Right. And uh, you are then converting at 30, 40% from, yeah. you know, the people that you meet. Mm-hmm. Um, that's amazing. How, tell me a little bit about your team. So now in the morning meeting, we're going to go back to that. Um, who's in the meeting? Sure. So um, whichever leasing counselors are working that day, and we have sort of a support coordinator, almost like an office manager for the leasing office. And she's there. Typically, she's the one that's kind of driving and that's capturing the notes, like the, the strategy and who's the, the, the smart goals, right? The actionables. So she's capturing that and recording it. And we use Sherpa for that, but um, you know, and then um, sometimes one of our owners is in, sometimes we'll invite in um, if we have a, if we have a prospect who's coming that might have a connection somehow with one of our, uh, for example, we have a dining room server who's been here for 17 years and she lives, she grew up in a neighborhood not far from here. And we have a prospect who used to live in that neighborhood. So we talked to her and she said, oh my gosh, I babysat for them. I know mm-hmm. that family. So we pulled her into our planning session and said, this person is coming and we would love for them to reconnect with you and for you guys to just go off and go down memory lane and share experiences. And it's all part of creating that experience for people when they come. And it may be our move coordinator. It may be um, our executive director, like we, whoever we can utilize in our team, our team's larger than the sales office. It's the entire operational team. So mm-hmm. whoever we can pull in that we think might be impactful um, and help, they can join too. It takes a village, doesn't it? It does. It really does. <laughs> Especially to demonstrate, uh, I, I always like to say we're auditioning <laughs> yeah. to become a member <laughs> of our prospects family. Yes. And, and it's important to think about the fact that the interactions they have with us on the very front end are going to make the impression and set the tone and the expectation for how they're going to be treated by the rest of the operational staff when they move in. That's what we want to convey because we believe that's what they're going to receive from the rest of the team when they get here. And like if, if you didn't have confidence in that, why would you ever move someplace, you know? Right. And so it really addresses a true person-centric approach to not only sales, but operations. Mm -hmm. It occurs to me that rather than us trying to fit a person into our operations, which is the fear that most of our prospects have, right? I'm going to lose my identity because I'm going to be institutionalized. I'm going to be told what to do, what to eat, when to do it. And this is what we have here. And we have this and we have that rather it's this process in which you really understand what a person's values and goals and identity is. And then you put every member of your team at the service of that, of that individual. Mm -hmm. And you try to demonstrate that, but you can't do that if you don't take the time to explore 
that person's identity through doing case studies, through discussing with the team, for bringing in the team. And I I just, it just, it moves me every time. It moves, it moves me. I, uh, it's so beautiful, the work that you do. And um, what I wanted to ask you is, you know, how do you open yourself to learning, to being wrong? You know, I'm kind of leading into this question, but I think it's so important that we, that we understand this perspective that you're bringing in terms of learning, getting better at what you do, et cetera. So, so to describe to me, just sort of as a closing statement, what is it that you're con- constantly working on within yourself to become even better at what you do? Yeah. So I think, um, I think to embrace the idea that it is not only okay, but that we should celebrate being wrong. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because, you know, like I tell my team, no is not negative. No is wonderful information. It tells you what the issue isn't so that you know then that there's more work to do and that there's an opportunity for you to get back in there and learn what the issue is if you can. And then think about the fact that even if you're 100% wrong, you showed up, you cared enough to think through what they might be feeling. You, you cared enough to say, Hey, could this be the, could this be what's going on? I know how I would feel, but I'm trying to understand how you would feel. Is this possibly what's going on? It doesn't matter if you're 100% wrong. It's the expression of the intention and the, the care that it takes to show up and ask and be vulnerable enough to be wrong. That is so impactful and so trust building. And more often than not, folks will say, no, but, and then they will feel more comfortable sharing with you what the actual issue is. So Mm -hmm. embrace being wrong, learn to celebrate being told no, you know, it's just an opportunity to learn more. I love what you said. No is is just data about emotions. Yeah, you know the, the some of the expressions, objections, uh, expressions of you know where we would say it's reject. No, I'm going to think about it. I'll wait until whatever or no or whatever it is that we hear and we interpret rejection, personal rejection. If we were able to really be more like scientists, right? Mm -hmm. curious and inquisitive and willing to be wrong and to experiment and to hypothesize Mm -hmm. about what might be going on. Um, That's just, then we would use those, those, you know, seemingly rejecting statements as data. Yeah. As data. It's information about emotion, right? Absolutely. Thank you so, so very much for sharing your insight and your incredible, uh, formidable, uh, heart mm, and drive and yes you you are an example and an inspiration any parting words wow <laughs> there's a bunch of maybe leasing counselors or heads of sales or yes. that might be listening Absolutely. what would you say what would you say uh, just um you know be be grateful every day that we have the privilege to do this job that's awesome thank you stacy Thank you. Be well and stay heroic. Uh, Thanks. You too. I hope you enjoyed this episode. My intention is to provide you with as much inspiration as possible. 
the work we do is very hard, at times emotionally exhausting, and so incredibly rewarding. So thank you. Thank you for the great work you do for others. And please don't forget to take care of yourself. And as always, stay heroic.